there. So, um, before I get started here on talking about the Federal Reserve and the lifting of interest rates, I thought I would kind of finish off on the speech that we were uh, talking about coming from uh, Christopher Waller, where he was talking about like the dollar's dominance inside of the uh, world reserve currencies and stuff like that. Um, it's not exactly like the funnest speech to read, but it was pretty interesting when we got down to the very end of this speech because they're basically talking about stable coins in there. And um, what I thought was interesting about the uh, talking about stable coins is that all this like idea that the Federal Reserve and the central banks around the world are going to set up their own like central bank digital currency, this currency that is outside of the paper currency, like, or what am I trying to say here? That is, there's central bank digital currency, the currency that is not outside of the banking system, but locked within the computers in like no cash or anything like that. So if you're not familiar with central bank digital currencies, it's basically like a computer type money where there's no cash in the system. Um, most of us here on this channel, we know about central bank digital currencies and been following it for quite some time. Now, what I found interesting, like I said, inside of this speech, excuse me, I set my sunscreen up there so I don't burn my phone up. Oops. There we go. Like I said, what I found interesting about this speech, though, is the very last uh, section talking about stable coins is that he really gives the idea that there may not need, may not be a need for an actual central bank digital currency. Listen to this. The last scenario I wanted to consider is one in which privately issued stable coins pegged to a sovereign currency is available for international payments. Stable coins are cryptocurrencies that aim to maintain a stable value relative to specified assets or a pool of assets. The reason that stable coins may be more effective, or I'm sorry, more attractive than existing options for payments, including their ability to provide real-time payments at lower cost between countries that were previously poorly serviced and to provide a safe store of value for individuals residing in or transacting with countries with weak economic fundamentals. This is, this is different than an intermediate U.S. central bank digital currency for which access in developing economies would depend on banks' incentives to provide such access. Stable coins, however, may be held directly in any country that allows its citizens to do so. To improve payments, especially for jurisdictions that are not well served under the current global payment, system, payment ecosystem, stable coins must be risk managed and subject to robust supervision and regulatory framework. Could such an asset affect the role of the U.S. dollar? Once again, I am unsure whether an even unsure whether even a large issuance of stable coins uh, could have anything more than a marginal effect. If it has been suggest it has been suggested that by commentators that private money like instruments such as stable coins threaten the effectiveness of monetary policy. I don't believe that to be the case, and it should be noted that near all major stable coins to date are denominated in dollars and therefore US monetary policy should affect the decisions to hold stable coins similar to the decisions to hold any currency. This follows from a vast body of evidence in the international economics showing how countries pegging their exchange rates effectively import monetary policy from the country 
to which their currency is pegged. Now, that was very interesting to me when I read that. Basically, what he is saying is that if you have stable coins in existence and they are being used and they are following the dollar, basically being pegged to the dollar, that whatever monetary policy is occurring within the dollar, it then transfers through into these stable coins. I guess where I'm kind of getting at that is that you don't really have to establish a central bank digital currency and convince people to use it if stable coins are already in use and already have the monetary policy of the Federal Reserve and all the rules and regulations that are attached to it. You see where I'm kind of getting at on that? So I'm kind of wondering, at least from this speech, if that idea is not part of their plan, is to use these stable coins in lieu of a central bank digital currency, considering that the stable coins would have to follow within the monetary policies of the Federal Reserve if they peg those stable coins to the dollar. Did I say all that right? So anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting when I read that in the speech. Um, I didn't leave a link to this speech in the in this video, but I did in the past in the previous one. So you can go and check it out if you want to find that speech. It was fairly recent from the Federal Reserve. Um, so if you go and check out Federal Reserve speeches, I think it was like two weeks ago he gave this speech. If you wanted to read it yourself, very interesting stuff that I saw inside of that. Um, but that's one of the things that I had um, that I wanted to bring up for you guys. Because there's so much talk about a central bank digital currency and how they would introduce that. It seems to me with these stable coins and being pegged to the dollar and carrying the monetary policy of the dollar that these things are already introduced and they can just be expanded on. Anyway, um, just one of those ideas I had out there. Let's talk about the Federal Reserve. Oh my goodness. Raised, raised today. Everybody loved it. Everybody knew it was going to happen. I don't think there was anybody out there who really honestly thought that they were going to pivot. Like, I don't, I don't think that was like really... Not not anybody is like, you know, being real about it anyway. Um, everybody knew that they were going to raise rates. However, within their statement, they made a suggestion that they may not be raising rates in the future, right? And that they're going to be, I forget exactly how they worded it, but essentially they're going to be data dependent on whatever happens here. I honestly think that they are going to try and push it up to that 5%. They may do another couple of half percentage point increases or something just to, you know, make it not seem so extreme, but I really think that the Federal Reserve would love to have the the interest rates, the Fed funds level up to around that 5%. Typically, they would want to drop that Fed funds level around 5% in order to stimulate the economy. So if they can get it up to that 5%, they essentially get their ammo back. Now, also within the statement that they were saying, or at least in the, uh, you know, when the Federal, the announcement that they came out with, they even say it in there, right? There's a lag. And this is the the critical thing that I think a lot of people are misunderstanding when they talk about or think about the Federal Reserve and the lifting of interest rates is that a lot of people are thinking, OK, well, the Federal Reserve has the Fed funds level at three and three quarters to four percent right now. Well, just now got it up there. But they, they see that and they think that's what's impacting the economy, this this particular four percent or this three and three quarter interest rate at the Fed funds. They think like that's impacting the economy right away. It doesn't. It impacts the markets right away. It impacts a lot of like the investment things that are going on out there as far as that goes. But it doesn't really affect the economy for another six months to a year, right? So like the decisions that you make on purchasing homes or starting businesses or doing things in, in general, 
this this is really where the Federal Reserve is looking for the interest rates to have that impact on the economy. Like at what level are they going to have the interest rates actually slowing the economy down and bringing that inflation down? Because right now at 5%, that's, I mean, most people would think, okay, that would do it. But it's not 5% that's impacting the economy. It's more like, I don't know, what was it, six, seven months ago, eight months ago, it was closer to like two and a half to three, somewhere in there. So really, the economy is just now starting to feel the effects of a restrictive policy, right? Up until this point, it's still been stimulated, right? I mean, that's a, that's another thing to think, that how scary it is. Because considering what's taken place over the last year, and the slowdown, and obviously signs of recession and stuff like that coming up, up until just recently, it's still been a stimulating economy. Like the monetary policy was still stimulated. So considering we are just now starting getting into restrictive economy, can you imagine how painful it's going to be once we start moving into something that is going to be actually trying to slow the economy down? I mean, right now we're pretty much still at neutral, you know? Anyway, um, hit the like button, guys. We got 157 of you up in here. If you go and hit that like button, the uh, YouTube algorithm will pick up the video and start spreading it around a little bit more. All right, my bank called this afternoon and wondered why I am not using my business checking account, spending my business income. Huh, interesting. Uh, the markets assumed there would be a pause or a similar BPS hike. Um, I Did the markets actually think that there was going to be a break or a pause? I mean, I don't think anybody really, really thought that that was going to happen. I mean, there might have been a consideration on whether or not it was going to be three quarters or half a point or maybe even a quarter point. Like there might have been that kind of discussion, but I don't think anybody really thought that they were going to pivot. Like, I don't know, maybe some people think that going from like three quarters of a point down to half a point is a pivot. Like, you know, I remember when like they were going through the autopilot when they were lifting a quarter point every quarter back in, what was that, 2018, 17, something like that. When when they were doing that, um, oh shit, what was I trying to say? Yeah, I forgot what I was getting at on that. Um, I know that it pissed the markets off right away, but I forgot what I was trying to get at as far as my point goes. Oh, sorry guys. I just got off of work, so my mind is just still stuck in doing sales and stuff. <laughs> uh, I was thinking a pivot to something more neutral, not as aggressive as 75 basis point. Um... Well, I mean, I think a pivot to neutral would bring it back down to around the two and a half percent. But again, like two and a half percent to three percent on the Fed funds is just now starting to impact the economy from six months ago. So like we may, they, the Fed might pivot like, you know, all of a sudden they, something happens and they have to reverse course and actually start dropping the interest rates. Then really the Fed funds level at 5% would never really have a chance to impact the economy, right? It needs to be there for a while, like six months to a year in order for that to like start getting its way into the economy and start and start doing its work. You raise it up to 5% now and then in a couple months drop it, then really does 5% ever actually have a chance to impact the economy? I mean, I don't think it does. So right now, like I feel that where the Fed had put the interest rates six months ago has the economy pretty much sitting at neutral or maybe just now getting into the restrictive economy, you know. Uh, da -da, da -da. Banks are running out of cash over here in South Florida. Really? 
Uh, why is titanium under layman $180 a roll? I don't know. I don't know why that's so expensive. 15-pound felt, still $35. I'm here. We can start now. Great all-nighter. It's good to see you, man. Dumb money always flows to smart pockets. A fool and his money are easily parted. Unfortunately, 80% or better of the population are fools. And I agree with you on stacking silver, but might you know of any cryptos to invest in or take advantage of the CBDCs? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still like, as far as trying to use cryptocurrencies to gain like, like monetary gain or protecting or, you know, like protecting your wealth or something like that. I don't know if cryptocurrencies is really going to do that for you. Um, I mean, it's a complete speculation for sure. Like, I mean, who knows if Bitcoin will even have any value next year, let alone like, you know, if it's going to be worth a million dollars someday. Um, I personally, I like cryptocurrencies. I like the idea of cryptocurrencies. I like the idea of being able to do a transaction that the government can't stop you from doing. I mean, they might be able to see it, but they can't stop you from, from making that transaction. If you have that going on, like that's something I love. Like I am all about being able to do things that the government has no control over. Um, I think that's just like perfect. I mean, I'm much more leaning towards an anarchist than anything. I don't believe in destruction and violence or vandalism or anything else like that. But as far as individual freedoms and being able to be free from government, I'm all about that. Absolutely love it. All right. Who do we got up in here? Get this damn scammer out of here. How do I... Come on now. Hold on, guys. I'm trying to... I'm trying to delete this comment, but I can't figure out how to get it up. Come on. It won't let me do it. There we go. Okay. Hide user from channel. All right. Hopefully he's out of here. All right. I will have to watch this later. Just wanted to drop in and hit the like button and add a comment for the algorithm. Well, thank you very much, Jaws. We'll talk to you later, man. All right. Looks there. Look, there's 69 in the name, so you know it's legit. <laughs> Hot girls in the house, yeah, right. Um, why did you think Jerome's comment that if the Fed breaks something, they would just flood the markets with money again? Um, I don't know. I got to go and I, I, to be honest with you guys, I have, I just got off of work, so I briefly read a couple of articles and then fired up the uh, the live stream. So I'm going to go and I'm going to actually read and listen to all the things that were said today so I can really kind of get a better understanding of it. As far as just being able to flood the the markets with money again, like it's it's already flooded with money. Like, you know, this is what's interesting. Um, something that I had read in Cantillon's essay that is really difficult to try and explain because the idea of money printer go burr, prices go up, is so difficult to try and like set aside so that you can see things a little differently. But I mean, and this is going to like, I know people are going to roll their eyes when I say this, but the amount of money that's within the system doesn't really determine how high the prices go. And I know that's like, you know, people are going to be like, oh, dude, you're losing it now. But it doesn't really matter how much money you have in the system. The prices can only reach fair prices. That's as far as it goes, no matter how much money is in there. And 
again, like I know people are like going to just roll their eyes at this, but you really kind of have to understand it from the idea that let's say that you have a particular product within this town, right? My town, right? I got this particular product and everybody in town knows that it's $20, right? For this particular thing that I have, right? And the amount that is in this town meets the demand, right? But then the demand goes up. So you know what's going to happen to the price, right? So the price starts moving up. Well, once this price starts to move up, then the item that I have is going to start finding that the distance that it travels to get there will start coming from further distances as the prices go up until the amount of distance occurs, right? How far it goes to the point that the people will no longer buy it. So I guess what I'm saying from that is that if it's a $20 item and it takes $20 to ship it there, that brings it up to $40, then there's now a supply of it. So it can only reach $40, right? Once it reaches the demand. If the demand increases, then the prices will obviously go up. But if the supply can meet the demand, then it's only going to reach that honest price. And no matter how much money you have in the system, that's as far as it's going to go. If the price goes up, further distance will bring in more product, keeping the prices from going any higher than that. So it can only it can only get to 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 fair prices and then after that it's just distance you know the the distance of traveling will then start increasing the supply until it meets the demand so that 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 little thing right there is very difficult to try and wrap your head around on a large scale because everybody knows that money printer goes per prices go up but it's very difficult to understand that prices can only reach honest prices or fair prices before no matter how much money is in the system before before it just that tops out, that's it. Yeah. All right. Um, there was nothing dovish about his speech, but I think the article that came out before his speech were wishing for a dovish move when it was the opposite. Yeah, I don't know where anybody really got the idea that there was going to be a dovish mood move, move coming from the Fed. Like, there was nothing within the Fed statements or anything that they have said within their speeches or anything. Like the only people who have been talking about a possible Fed pivot were other economists out there who were wishful thinkers, like living on hopium or something. I don't know what they were planning, but I guess they were hoping that their investments were going to go up because they positioned themselves for that idea. I don't know what they were thinking, but there was nothing coming from the Federal Reserve that even suggested that they were going to do anything other than continue to lift rates. I mean, if you watch my videos, I didn't, I didn't suggest anything other than that because I'm not listening to these other economists. I'm listening to what the Federal Reserve is saying. And they, like, I'm, from what I'm hearing of them, they want to get it to, like, 5%, maintain it there for a while till they can get the average inflation rate to that 2%. Not the 2% target, but the average inflation over time. Once they do that, then they'll drop the interest rates back down again. But it's going to stay elevated for some time. They're going to be... they're. You're going to hear people talking about this. They're going to say the Fed is causing unneeded pain, right? That inflation has come down, right? You're going to hear this. Inflation has come down. It's at the 2% target. The Federal Reserve should be lowering interest rates, but they're keeping it elevated on purpose to purposely inflict pain upon the people. And you're going to hear people say this, right? But very few people are going to be talking about how the Federal Reserve is trying to maintain an average 2% inflation over time. This is a new target for them. This is something that they never did before. Before, they used to target a 2%. If they were under 2%, they would try and raise the 
the inflation to get it back up to that 2% target. If they were over it, they would try and bring it back down. That's not what they're doing now. Now they go for a 2% average over time, which means at certain times in the timeline, they're going to be elevated for a significant amount of time or they're going to be under or have low interest rates for a significant amount of time in order to maintain that average 2%. So one of the things that you heard, you know, the Federal Reserve kept interest rates too low for too long, causing the inflation to happen. They said they were going to do it. And they said that they're going to keep the interest rates elevated for a significant amount of time to bring the inflation back down. I mean, this is, I mean, they're going according to plan. I don't know why anybody would think anything other than that. So it's going to be like for some time that they're going to maintain and keep the interest rates elevated. I mean, how long? I don't know, but they're trying to go for a 2% average. So considering how long the inflation has been elevated, it's going to be that much longer. It's going to take to keep it or to get it back down to that 2% average. Uh, man, I'm talking a little fast today, aren't I? I always talk fast. Unless you... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you convert your stable coin to gold, then it isn't backed by anything. Um, no, it's backed by the debt of the United States. And that is then backed by men with guns who will come and take everything you own if you don't pay your taxes. So you can't say that it's not backed by anything. It's backed by violence. Yeah. Uh, it's said that the digital asset XRP and XLM could possibly help with the global liquidity crisis with on-demand liquidity. I absolutely agree it could help with that. Now, when it comes to XRP and Ripple, everybody says, dude, you're purposely not talking about Ripple for some reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is either that I'm purposely not talking about XRP, but I'm not talking about XRP because I cannot find one single Federal Reserve statement using XRP. Like, I cannot find it out there. There's plenty of people who say it. There's plenty of economists who talk about it. There's plenty of people who are, you know, shills for XRP who want, you know, to see XRP gets used. And I'm not saying that there isn't bankers out there who are using XRP. What I'm trying to say is that the Federal Reserve has not once, not anywhere could I find them using the word Ripple or XRP as far as any of the transactions that they are doing. I could be wrong on that. I just haven't found it. So if you find it, please email me, uneducatedeconomist at gmail, with that link to that Federal Reserve document talking about how they are going to use XRP in their future transactions. I would love to see that because I would love to talk about that. I can't find it, so I can't talk about that. All right. Why would the Fed come out and say blatantly they plan on working with Ripple? Okay, where? 
Say, okay, if the Fed has said that, can you please send me the document that said, I want to see where Jerome Powell has said that, or Michelle Bowman, or Christopher Waller, or one of these guys. I want to, I want to see that. Not some shithead economist who might work for the Federal Reserve talking about how it's a good idea. I don't want to see that. I want to see, like, an official document that says we are planning on doing this, right? I mean, because there could be some, like, you know, some economist who wrote a blog about it or something like that. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I agree with you, what you said about the Cantillon effect earlier. Yeah, it's totally happening. Like, that Cantillon effect, I just don't... I mean, maybe... Because, like, you know, guys, I'm learning this stuff brand new, right? I wasn't taught this stuff, so it's all things that I'm, like, I'm learning. So when I read about the Cantillon effect and tried to, you know, understand about the flow of money and new money coming into the system and then what happens from that, when you're reading the, when you read the Cantillon effect from that, man, does it not tell you exactly how the economy rolls when you have new money coming into the system? Whether it comes from a silver mine or whether it comes from massive exports of you know your manufactured goods or if it comes from the selling of debt it doesn't matter where that new money comes from so long as you have new money coming into the system you will have this cantillon effect take place and once the new money turns off everybody goes into poverty and it's like you can almost see like you could go back and look through history and you could see this like almost the same thing occurring time after time again i mean if you read cantillon's essay I mean, he mentions it like he talks about all kinds of countries that had gone through this over many centuries. I mean, hey, he wrote this thing back in the 1700s and he was talking about how economies went through this like two, three hundred years earlier than that. So this is something these are laws of economics that just simply don't change. Like you could do all kinds of stuff to try and reverse some of the effects of it. But it's just the way it goes. It's just like. You know, when that new money comes into the system, people who have access to that money, they want to they want to spend it at face value and they want to spend it on luxuries. That diving into luxuries is really what the problem starts starts to occur, because if they instead of moving into luxuries, if they moved into investments like, you know, manufacturing investments or something like that and not gone gone into luxuries, then the system can continue on. You can continue continue moving, but it's going into luxuries that's the problem. Because once you move into luxuries, what you start doing is you start driving out the domestic manufacturers. Once you drive out the domestic manufacturers, you're driving out the income, you're driving out the work, you're driving out the people. And then once the new money turns off, that's it. Everybody's done. Everybody's in poverty. So it's happening. It's going to happen here in the United States too. And you know what I think is interesting is that this damn push for digital currencies, it's not to make transactions easier or smoother or, you know, for all that other stuff. It's for taking interest rates into negative territory, period. End of story. Anybody who tells you anything differently than that is lying or trying to sell you something, okay? That's why their central bank digital currencies are being pushed right now is because they know after this 5% Fed funds rate, once they drop that, that's it. They're not going to be able to, they are not going to have an inflation scenario in order for them to raise the interest rates like they did this time, right? They will not have that inflation scenario. So if they cannot take interest rates into negative territory, they will not be able to drop the Fed funds enough to stimulate the economy. So it is in, it is critical for them to have a digital currency in play, not this recession, but the next one. And I think this recession that comes up, whatever crisis it is, they'll introduce this central bank digital currency, whether it's being used by stable coins or an actual like Fed coin or something like that. 
that's what they're going to need in order to to continue the system onward. Otherwise, the new money turns off and everybody falls into the poverty. Thank you for the super chat, Brad. Really appreciate that, man. Thanks for being the voice of reason. Don't buy gold or XRP. Buy stable goods like diesel and chicken feed. Um, I I wouldn't go as far as to say don't buy gold or silver or gold or XRP. Um, that I mean that's that might be your move, Brad. And I would say you know definitely follow what you believe. Um, I'm I'm a believer in gold. Like gold and silver are incredibly useful insurance policy like i am a big fan of that i'm not necessarily a fan of trying to protect my wealth with gold and silver from inflation it's never worked for me i don't look at it like that i look at it as an insurance policy something that i can have in my hand away from that third party xrp i'm still on the fence about this one i've seen plenty of bankers talking about it i've seen a lot of documents you know or uh, people talking about it as far as like you know documentary kind of stuff but not an official, right? Not the official, we're going to use this for sure kind of thing. So, I mean, if you want to take a shot at XRP, I mean, certainly, I mean, I don't blame you. I own a little bit of XRP just so I have some in the game. I don't have a lot of it, but I do have some just, like I said, so I could be there. Um, but I, again, like I'm not, I'm not sold on it yet, you know, but I don't discredit it either. Like it could happen, so basically all that's left is the moving in of digital currencies, I guess. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's there's other things that they could bring up as far as tools. Like, you know, the Federal Reserve has a lot that they can do that people just don't even know. Like, even like hardcore famous economists don't even know some of the stuff that they have available. I don't think anybody was quite quite ready to 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 deal with the economic impacts of what special purpose vehicles could do during the pandemic like i don't think anybody anticipated that the federal reserve and the treasury were going to set up 13 lending facilities to backstop the entire financial market any corner of the financial market where there was a loan to be made the finance they had a, a lending facility that was going to backstop that they were going to buy that loan so those special purpose vehicles, those things, they can only exist during unusual and exigent circumstances, right? So if they didn't have the pandemic at the time, there was no way that they were going to be able to use those special purpose vehicles. And so without the special purpose vehicles, they never would have been able to support the corporations. The way they were able to support the corporations is by setting up that special purpose vehicle, making the announcement that they were going to be buying up corporate debt. Everybody out there, including YouTubers all over the place, were screaming about how the Federal Reserve was going to be picking the winners and losers. And the Federal Reserve sat back while everybody tried to front run them by buying up the corporate debt. The Federal Reserve really didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was set up the special purpose vehicle, put out the announcement that they were going to be buying it. That credible threat was enough to stimulate the, or not stimulate, but to, I guess, stimulate in such a way, stimulate these corporations by getting people to buy into their bonds, right? So now all these corporations, all these viable ones loaded up on cash and all the zombie ones started expanding their companies out there by hiring people and buying new equipment and doing their thing. And now they're going to suffer and die when the, uh, when their debts start rolling around. Um, you know, it's like, to me, it was like, 
when I see that and I think about it, it was such a setup. It was so perfectly planned. And there's no way that you can, like, have a bailout of corporations with a special purpose vehicle without the pandemic unless you had that in plan. You know, like, if they didn't have that, all these corporations all over the place would have failed miserably, would have had bankruptcies like you wouldn't believe. But nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about how, you know, this unusual and exigent circumstances totally saved the corporations out there. And, like, nobody cares. Nobody talks about it. It's just like, you know, like it was totally forgotten about or something. And I'm thinking, you know, they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the unusual and exigent circumstance. But, oh, well. Yeah. That's why I'm saying the Fed can, you know, they'll have tools they'll pop out with and nobody even knows, you know. All right, $1.99. Is it true that money printer go burr? Not anymore. The money printer isn't going burr. It's going suck. It's like a vacuum right now. They're pulling money back out of the system. And that's hard for people to believe. But, you know, when you think about it, like the Federal Reserve, they put on their balance sheet treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. These are loans. These are loans that get paid back. And unless they take those loans, the money that comes back to them, and they roll that into new debt by buying treasuries or something, that money comes back to the Federal Reserve and vanishes. It disappears. Right? So we're not in money printer go burr. We're in money printer go suck. Right? Like vacuum, you know, like vacuum policy. I don't know what to call it, you know. Uh, XRP solves on-demand liquidity. Either it crashes or we go hyperinflation. Can avoid both, I don't think. Okay, um, I don't see... Okay, let's, let's, let's kind of understand where the hyperinflation scenario would come from, right? Because what is hyperinflation? Hyperinflation is when the banks try to outrun their debt by printing up money. Zimbabwe... Why my Republic? These are examples of it. People go and look at it all the time. Here's the problem by using those as examples. Zimbabwe and the Weimar Republic were not reserve currencies. They were not world reserve currencies. Okay. That means that they were trying to outrun their debt within their own country. They did not have a demand for their debt outside of their nation. Okay. The United States is very much different, right? We have a demand for our dollar that exists outside of our country. So now what's going on right now is that we have dollars that are or contracts that are due in dollars right this is really like the milkshake theory or jeff snyder's euro euro dollar stuff this is these two guys i mean they nailed it they really understand this what's going on here with the strong dollar you know happening outside of the outside of the united states but simply understood right contracts outside of the united states are written in dollars they're due in dollars these things get used as if they're dollars. So not only do you have dollars outside of the United States that are acting as dollars, but then you have U.S. treasuries that are outside of the United States that people would rather hold instead of dollars. They get used as dollars, right? Because they're almost as liquid as dollars, or they're pretty much liquid. They're almost as good as dollars, right? So not only do you have dollars, but then you have U.S. treasuries. Both of them get used as if it's currency to, to complete transactions. Then you have contracts other contracts, sovereign nations, you know, sovereign nations, corporations, whatever, who have also written contracts in dollars, they get used as if they're dollars outside of the United States. Okay. So all this money is being used, right? All this demand for dollars. Now, as these contracts start to come due and get paid off, those are dollars that are no longer being used in the system. Right? So this contract, which was being used, disappears. The dollars go with it. This is the diminishing of dollars that are out there. 
even though the United States didn't print them up, didn't do anything, you know, doesn't have anything to do with it, but these contracts are getting used as dollars, they disappear. Think about that. It's the shrinking of dollars. Dollars that are outside of the United States don't have anything to do with the United States. That's demand for dollars. Okay? So this is really what I have to think about. Is like, as these contracts start to shrink, like, okay, people are like freaking out. We don't want the dollar. Screw the dollar. Screw the United States. Screw their sanctions. We're done, right? But these contracts still exist. So you have to clear those contracts out, meaning that they either have to come due, you have to sell it, you have to come up with something, but they got to come due, right? So here you got the contract. It's due. You just got paid. What did you get paid in? Got paid in dollars, right? Now what do you do? Well, you got to go buy something. Well, nobody else. This is the this is the hyperinflation scenario, right? People are getting out of dollars. So you can't go to somebody else and say, here, take my dollars, right? Because they don't want them either. The only place you're going to be able to go to is the United States. And that's where the dollars start coming back to the United States. This is the chickens coming home to roost. And this is where the hyperinflation scenario starts to take place. However, the demand for dollars outside of the United States is increasing. Okay, it's not decreasing. So is it dollars shrinking from the, from the contracts, from the demand for dollars, all that other stuff? As that starts to shrink, the demand for dollars starts to increase. Once that peaks out, if it does, and the demand for dollars, as far as like, we don't want to be there anymore, like we're done with the dollar, screw dollar, we're done with America. After those contracts have peaked out, trying to clear those out, then the dollar will start coming back to the United States. And that's where the problem starts to exist. That's where the devaluation of the dollar, the un, you know, the runaway inflation, all that other stuff, no, no way of stopping it. That's where I see the hyperinflation scenario happening. But the demand for dollars will increase first on the way there. So there will peak out a time right before the crash where there will, you will see the dollar stronger than you had ever possibly imagined in your entire life. When that happens, get the hell out. Get out and you don't want a single penny at that time. And it's going to be difficult because everybody's going to be talking about how awesome the dollar is and how you should save all your money in dollars and how all the rest of the world is like crap compared to the dollar. But that won't be the case. It's because the dollar is so strong because people are trying to get out of it and it will come back to the United States and it will cause a hyperinflation. So I don't see that happening. I mean, it's kind of happening, but not to that level yet. Not, not that I see it. So as far as I can tell, there is no hyperinflation coming anytime soon, right? Unless the entire world immediately decides that they are done with these contracts, done with the dollar and starts buying up the United States by sending stuff back here, by or not their stuff, but sending their dollars back here. Did I say all that right? God, that was a real bad babble there. Okay, let's see. Hey, thank you very much, Bullish Paul McCarthy, for the dollar. Really appreciate that. Somebody is hosing the shorts constantly. Unusual. That means it was planned. <laughs> yeah. How much is a little bit of XRP? To be honest with you, I'm not sure. I bought XRP probably, I don't know, five years ago or something. And I don't think I bought much more than maybe 20 bucks worth of it, you know, just to have some on hand. So I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how much I have. Not very much. You know, but the same thing, I bought like Dogecoin too. For I bought like 20 bucks right around the same time. I bought I bought some Dogecoin. That's worth like 500. That was worth almost $1,000 at one time. So it's pretty crazy to watch what $20 can do. You know? 
Uh, why, Paul, man, you just loaded me up with these dollars, man. Thank you. Uh, what do we got here? Um, a lot of people think that T-bills are safer than FDIC-insured bank accounts. I actually don't think that's wrong. Um, no, I kind of agree with that. The FDIC, I mean, that's... Really, that's only going to cover just a handful of banks if they start to fail. Like, if you have, a, like, a really systemic problem, the FDIC isn't going to really be there for you. Um, at that point, you're probably going to have a problem with the T-bills as well. But, you know, when you think about it just from, like, just the condition of right now, like, there is very little chance of anything coming from the Treasury defaulting. Like, almost no chance of it. When you have a printing press that can pay any debt it wants, then... There is no chance of default, like zero, right? But it doesn't guarantee a purchasing power. So it doesn't really matter if you can pay your debts off if it doesn't buy you anything, if, you know, with the money from it. So um, are they safer? I think T-bills are incredibly safe. Are they worth it? I don't know. I mean, that part's questionable. <laughs> um, we have enough untapped oil. Okay. Should we buy gold at that point? Um, well, I think you should probably have already been in gold at that point. Um, I, I guess we're talking about the hyperinflation scenario. Yeah, we should probably have been in gold at that point. But, you know, really, I mean, that's just that's just a possibility, right? What I'm thinking is probably going to end up being more of the case is that we are going to shift into a digital currency of some sort. Now, whether it's a world digital currency, whether it's these stable coins, whether it's XRP, I don't know, right? It's going to be something out there that's going to be digital that we end up going into. I don't see a hyperinflation scenario where these dollars come back to roost and, you know, or, or come back home to roost or whatever with, with the United States. I don't, I don't think that's going to take place. Like, I mean, I see a possibility of that being one of the, one of the outcomes but I don't, I don't think that's going to be the actual outcome from it. What I think is that we are going to go into a crisis scenario, financial crisis of some sort. It'll get to the point that there is going to be people crying on the streets, talking about how they lost their retirement. They're going to be starving. There's going to be nations all around the world with famine and crisis and all kinds of hell going on. And the powers that be will come up with a solution that is all digital. right? And they'll say, if you want to eat, here, take this card. It's loaded up with digital currencies. Go buy your food or whatever you need. Everybody will be locked into that beast system at that point. And, and that'll be it. We'll go into negative interest rates. Um, the hyperinflation scenario, that's a failure. That's a complete failure of the monetary system. Right? That's, that's what it is. And a lot of people are anticipating that there's going to be a complete failure of the monetary system. I get it. Like I could totally see why people would think that. However... I think that the Federal Reserve is far smarter than that to allow just a failure. Like, how would they not know that's coming? And if you are the Federal Reserve and you're working for the Federal Reserve and you're part of the banks and the big elitist money people out there, would you really want to give up that control? I mean, honestly, is that something you would give up? I don't think they will. And I don't think that they are going to have a system in which that is going to fail, especially when they have so many minds who are in tune to this thing working on it. Like, they know how to plan this out. And they are planning it. And if, 
you just kind of follow along with some of the things that they're saying with the digital currencies and the way the system is set and the monetary policies. It just looks to me like they are setting it up for the next crisis to occur in the introduction into the central bank digital currencies or stablecoin or XRP or whatever the hell it is. But it seems to me like it's set up so perfectly for that. Like, how could it go any other way, right? <laughs> man, thank you very much, Paul. Man, you keep dropping these dollars on me, man. That's very cool of you. Thank you. And we got 419 of up in here. 170 likes. Come on, we could hit that like button a few more times. Let's get a few more people up in the chat here. Breeze. Thank you so much for the $2. Have you ever been or lived in Colorado? I haven't. Um, yeah, I've never been to Colorado and I've never lived there. Uh, if you want to get biblical, they'll make me take the mark somehow. Uh, the news in UK tonight, the food banks are running out of food and people have stopped donating as the financial crisis bites. See, this is watch. Watch what happens over there, and you know this is this is how like you can do all kinds of stuff to people. Like you can put them through some all kinds of misery and pain and all kinds of stuff and take away their crap. But when they go hungry, that's it, man. It's game over, and you will find the most violent, the desperate, murderous. I mean, people will lose their shit when they go hungry. And, man, there is no better way to control people than with hunger, with food. Um, man, doesn't it just... It just it's setting it up. It's happening, you know? This chat does not make sense. No, it doesn't. It never has. Uh, about to ask you out. About to ask you out. No reply. Hate to say it, but it's true. No reply from you from the donations. Well, no reply. Hate to say it, but it's true. No reply from you about the donations. That's not true, Paul, man. I've said thank you every time you've dropped one. I'm not sure where you're getting at, man. I mean, I'm so appreciative of that stuff. I mean, Jesus, you guys have changed my life. You don't even know, man. Like, I don't even, like, I can't even begin to describe, like, you know, how you guys have changed my life. Uh, just sent a check to buy a quarter cow. Just needs space for a deep freeze. Won't buy meat from Walmart. Yeah, and you're going to find those grass-fed cow, that grass-fed beef is so much better than, than the store-bought stuff. Um, you know, it's funny, raising, like, doing pasture-raised, uh, doing a pasture-raised anything is just awesome. But, like, chickens, the, the beef, it's pretty good. Like, it's really good when you pasture-raise. But the pork, like small, like homestead, farm-raised, local kind of raised pork, it's not even the same thing anymore. Like, I don't know what the hell it is that you buy in the store, but it's not what the farmers raise on their on their small farms. The pork is by far the, the biggest difference when you raise it yourself. All right. Well, you bring good info. Well, thank you. I try. I mean, you know, I study this stuff a lot and I try to bring an opinion that, you know, comes from, you know, where I'm from. Like, you know, I'm working class. I have my nine to five job. We're out here struggling, trying to figure out what it is that we need to do with our lives in order to, you know, best position ourselves so that we can, you know, have a decent, decent way 
and um you know there's not a lot of good information out there for for people like you know it is so difficult to try and understand the banking system just to try and keep a checking account let alone try to figure out how it is that they establish interest rates or what those are going to do to the economy and how they impact it but you know studying this stuff as often in in talking about it as much as we do it gives you a feel it gives you an instincts you know just intuitively you start trying you start just doing the right thing and uh you know that's the whole point of all this is to keep focused in on it so that you know we can end up doing better for ourselves people who don't pay attention to this stuff they wonder why it is that their life sucks like why it is that you know they can't get ahead or they can't enjoy some of the things that they have you know like they see other people doing is because they just chosen not to follow some of the stuff or say that it's above their head or that, you know, they can't get it or it isn't going to help them any. I mean, this happens all the time. I hear it all the time from people. And I'm thinking, no, you got to get obsessed over this stuff. I mean, this is your life. This is, this is everything. And, you know, like to say, oh, no, it's not important to me. Yeah, well, you know, I guess not living a decent life isn't important to you, you know. Paul, thank you very much for the dollar, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Yui, I think Paul thinks he had questions in the donations, but he didn't. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, I'm sorry. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Uh, Breeze, $2. Thank you so much. Did you insurance on your house increase? Thanks. Uh, no. Not, No. Not that I've seen. I mean, I make the same payment every month, so I haven't seen any kind of increase in my insurance. Um, but I, you know, I've only made a year's worth of payments now. So, uh, okay. Source code. Thank you very much for the dollar ninety-nine. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. That's exactly right. You know, you're gonna find times in your life, and this is what's happened to me. And it's like, you know, you find times in your life. And you just, like, want to quit. Like, you just want to give up whether it's a job or whatever it is that's going on. Because you just don't like the situation that's happening, you know? And you're like, man, why am I putting up with this? And then, like, time goes on and things change a little bit. And you realize, oh, shit, I guess things aren't so bad here, right? But you could have quit at one point. You didn't. You stuck it out through the tough times, right? Well, what you find is that no matter what, there's never going to be good times all the time. Right. So you go through good times and you go through tough times, you go through bad times and you go through good times again. The part that you need to stick with is the fact that, you know, you're going to go into some bad times. And when you go into the bad times is the times that you have to stick it out the most. I mean, everybody can stick around when it's good. Right. But can you stick it out when it's bad? And now, granted, there comes a time in your life when you just have to say, that's it. I'm cutting my losses and I'm done. Right. But there's also another thing to say. I'm determined. I'm like committed. Um, you know, I just don't see it any other way. And these are the type of people who you look back and he's like, man, I can't believe you accomplished such tasks is because they just committed to it. And they just wasn't going to see it any other way. And failure wasn't an option. Even if they did fail, they were going to con continue to try until they made it. That's, that's the type of stuff. That's why like you know, when it came to like even this YouTube channel, I just committed myself to putting out a video every day and I wasn't caring on whether or not I made money. My whole goal was to make a hundred dollars. That's it. Nothing else. Just a hundred bucks. And I, you know, I got this channel up to 105,000 subscribers. I mean, 
blew us all away, right? Nobody was expecting it, but it was the commitment level, right? It was the commitment, the honesty, everything that I was trying to put into this channel and sticking with it. And, you know, if I didn't put out a video every day, you guys wouldn't be here every day. And that's just all there is to it. And so, like, I put it into me that I'm going to do this every day because you guys have said that you're going to be here every day with me. So this is what we do. All right. This is great ear candy. Thanks, All Nighter, man. I appreciate it. I'm on a roll tonight, huh? Loaded up on the coffee. Hey, TK, thank you very much for the 1999. Very cool. Simon, for all the Karens and trolls you deal with in this chat. Oh, you know, it's all right, man. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, the trolls, like, they're, they're comedians, you know, they're just trying to be funny and entertaining. And, uh, you know, I used to do it, you know, and I would be out there, like, you know, making comments or doing whatever. So it's not, you know, the trolls, they are what they are. I mean, they, they just do it. They're just trying to get you lit up. Um, and I don't think there's really any haters. Um, you know, there's a couple of people who just really disagree with me and don't like my opinions and stuff like that. And that's cool. But I think people, even if they don't agree with me, I think they're still intrigued by some of the ideas, you know, and the thoughts that kind of go into it. Like, you don't have to agree with it to think, well, man, that was like interesting. I never really kind of thought, thought about it in, in such fashions. Um, maybe it'd be something to consider. Like, it doesn't have to be a belief, but it's something like, you know, it could be like, hey, man, that's something that's that was awesome that you that you said, and I never considered that before. That's the whole point, right? Just to be thinking about this stuff. It doesn't, you don't have to be convinced by it, you know? It just has to be in your thoughts, you know? All right. The market won't go down if everyone is betting it will. Um, no, I, in fact, I think the markets would go down if everybody's betting it will in much in the same sense that inflation is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, once people believe that there's going to be inflation, then they start behaving in a way that causes the inflation to happen very much like a mar market downturn. If everybody believes that there's going to be a market downturn, then everybody starts behaving in a way that's actually so starts causing this market downturn to occur. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's actually going to happen. I mean, I, I think probably with your logic with it is that if everybody is convinced that there is going to be something that is going to occur, then it just doesn't occur, right? It just simply doesn't happen. So if that's kind of the, the idea from it, um, you know, kind of like, I don't know, like trying to predict like the weather or something you know it's just like everybody knows it's going to rain tomorrow but then it doesn't rain and everybody's surprised by it right you know and so that can be like you know an idea of what you're saying if everybody's convinced that there's going to be a housing market crash like everybody's convinced about it then is there going to be one i mean who knows like people could start behaving in a way that actually causes it to happen but the moment that the price drops there could be plenty of people going nope that's my price i'm in and they, they weren't convinced about a housing market crash. So not everybody's going to be in. And some people are going to find their price points and they start buying. So, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Urban X Urban. $1.99. Thank you very much. Dude, will the rich allow the system to fail? No, they will not. I mean, if you're talking like the rich, rich, like, you know, people who have a few million, I don't think they have a choice. But if you're talking like the powers that be, the rich elite, though, like the the half of a half of a percent or whatever. I mean, those people are not going to give up that power. No way. And if they can get you, get everybody locked into a digital system, then, then they're locked in too. Like, that's it. They've like, 
secured the deal at that point. You know? All right. After next Tuesday, things will calm down. Don't do not worry. What happens next Tuesday? Can Powell push past five percent rates after today because inflation easing slow? Six percent rates possible? Well, sure. I mean, they're possible. I mean, he can take it to anything he wants. Now, whether or not they allow that to actually stick around long enough to impact the economy, that might be another question. Like, can I think if the question is, is can the economy handle a six percent Fed funds level? I don't think so. Like, no. I mean, handle it in which way, I guess, would be the question. I mean, there's always going to be an economy, whether it's good or bad. So, I mean, can they handle it? Handle it in which fashion? Like, we will have a slow, very slow, not growth. Like, nobody's going to be, like, eager to do anything at 6% interest. I mean, the only people who are going to be interested in anything are savers, right? And saving will eventually stimulate the economy, but it takes time, right? So you have to save, you have to accumulate the interest, and then you have to be able to invest that interest back into the economy again before you're able to use it to stimulate. It's kind of like the beers and saws theory. When the Federal Reserve stimulates the economy, hands everybody a bunch of money, and they go out and spend that into the economy, yeah, boom, you get a stimulated economy, everything looks good, you get all these great numbers, but everybody's loaded up on beer because that's what they want to purchase. So everything's fine so long as you're drinking beer and getting drunk. But the moment that the beer runs out and the money runs out, now you got this hangover and you bottle this beer with debt. So now you got to work, pay off the debt, pay off the interest. You don't get anything for it. But if you had bought in saws, you don't get a whole lot for it right away. You got to use the saws. You got to manufacture stuff, take the manufactured things, sell that, pay the saw off. But now the saw is making you money. All right. So very same thing. Like you can take money, borrow it, stimulate the economy, just give the money to the people, let them go spend it. Doesn't work out too well. Or you can raise interest rates. People will begin to save the money. Once they save the money, the interest rate that they get or the interest that they get from their savings can then be moved back into the economy and start stimulating the economy again. So that's a problem with the savings rate of going about it because it takes forever to get there. Right? It takes time. At least when the Federal Reserve drops money into your pocket, you get to go get high right now, right? So that's what everybody who wants to get high, they want to get high right now. Hey, right on. Thank you very much, Fletcher, for the 50 bucks, man. That is very cool of you. Appreciate the videos. Well, I appreciate the uh, support, man. Thank you, Paul, for the other dollar. Very nice of you, man. <laughs> All right. What's up, Mark? Uh, mortgage rates was seven and a half in 1997, and I was happy about it, having been 13 or more previously. Yeah, but I also remember in 1997, my dad bought a house for like $62,000. Pretty good deal back then, right? I mean, I don't think you could... That house right now, I think, uh, well, it's been sold a couple of times, but I think the last time it sold, it was like I don't know, three eighty nine or something like that. So in 1997, he didn't buy that in 97 either. He bought it in 93. All right. Markets will continue to rally until the end of Q1. I think it was a quasi question. Thanks, Yui. Okay. Uh, should the Federal Reserve bring back the discount window? Um, I don't know if they really need to bring back the discount window. Like when they had 
the Federal Reserve has really like changed the way that they they conduct business. Um, they used to have a limited reserve system, and now they have an abundant reserve system. So the limited reserve system is how they were able to establish the effective funds rate. And so we've talked about this in the past. I mean, I talk about it quite a bit, but the way the Federal Reserve would establish the effective funds rate, because the Fed funds rate is just a target rate. It's just the number that they wrote down and like, hey, this is the target, right? The effective funds rate is the actual interest rate that these banks end up uh, lending to each other. But it's not it's not like the banks lending to each other like it used to be. See, back when we had a, a limited reserve system, at the end of the day, there would be banks who would be in need of reserves and some who had excess reserves. The ones who had excess reserves would lend it to the ones who were in need of reserves. And that overnight lending rate was the effective fund rate. The way the Federal Reserve would establish that effective fund rate would be buying and selling treasuries from the big banks until they were able to achieve the appropriate level that the interest on excess reserves would land within the target. Does that does that make sense? So, you know, these big banks, some of them had excess reserves, some of them needed reserves. The ones who had excess would loan it to the ones who need it. The Federal Reserve would buy and sell treasuries off these big banks to make that level appropriate so that that overnight interest rate would land at the Fed funds rate. That's the way they used to do it. When they had a problem and there wasn't enough money within the system, then the Fed would open up the discount window and the banks could go to the Federal Reserve and get money directly from them at an interest rate. Okay. Now we have an abundant reserve system and they lower the reserve requirements to nothing. So what we have now is all these banks are loaded with an abundant reserves. They don't really have to lend or borrow from each other on an overnight basis anymore because they're just all loaded up with this money. But there's a problem with that one as well. So back in 2019, right, we got to take it back a little bit because there's this, it was done on purpose, right? And I know it was done on purpose because I did a video called Things Are Changing, talking about their standing repo facility before it was a permanent standing repo facility, talking about how they wanted a standing repo facility. Now, I didn't know it at the time that that's what that video was about. I just knew that they were talking about this damn repo facility and how they wanted it to be like a permanent fixture there. But I didn't know exactly what was happening at the time when I was making that video. September of 2019, it all became clear, like what was taking, what was going on. Because back in September of 2019, the government, you know, the Trump administration was pumping out a lot of spending, right? So the, the big banks, right, they, they're the primary dealers, so the JP Morgan's, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, these like all these big banks, they're the primary dealers. They're the ones who go to auction at the treasury and buy the treasuries. Okay. So these big banks, they were loaded and loaded with treasuries, right? And they have cash, right? Now big banks, they're okay with holding cash and treasuries. Like treasuries are almost as good as cash, right? They're very liquid. You can pretty much convert them to cash right away and you can almost use them as cash. Like people will accept them as cash. But here's the problem. They not always work as cash. Sometimes you need cash. You need the settlement of cash and not the treasury, right? So cash ends up being like the lubrication for the system. Well, that's and that's the way they refer to it, okay? Now, this is what happens. September of 2019, there's tons of treasuries sitting on these primary dealers because of all the government spending that has taken place and not a, not, not a lot of cash. A tax payment takes place. 
This tax payment takes a bunch of the cash away from the big banks and moves it over to the treasury, the general treasury account over at the Fed. So now the big banks are sitting on a shit pot of treasuries and not enough cash. And they, some of these banks are like, oh crap, we need a little bit of reserves going into the next day because we just sent all our cash over to the treasury because of this tax payment. And there wasn't enough cash in the system. And there was banks out there going, sorry, man, we got loads of treasuries, but we don't have any cash for you. And the overnight interest rate shot up to like 10%, right? I mean, it was just like, everybody's freaking out. Like the next day, people were not going to be borrowing money. Like that's just the problem, right? The banks would have locked up, you know, cause it went from like what, 2% to 10% and like, you know, overnight that doesn't, that can't happen. So the federal reserve was like, Hey, no problem. We got the repo facility right here. You give us treasuries. We're going to give you cash. You're going to have plenty of cash to operate the next day. At the end of the day, we'll swap it all out and we'll do it again. And we'll have this repo facility that we can operate this not QE QE facility thing, right? Where we can provide you with all the cash that you need within the system just by swapping out these treasuries on an overnight basis. Well, then after the pandemic and all the money printer go burn, the place is just loaded with cash and everybody has cash and no place to put it. The repo facility stepped up again and says, no problem, we'll take your cash and you can have these treasuries and we'll just take your cash and you can earn an interest off of that. So the Federal Reserve has moved the way that they conduct the establishing of the Fed funds rate over to the Federal Reserve itself using the repo facility and the interest on excess reserves. And it creates a channel that the Fed funds, the effective funds rate lands into. Did I say all that right? Does that make sense? <laughs> right. I just had my safety meeting. <laughs> right. So I think I got lost. I think there was a question there I was supposed to answer and I forgot. <laughs> the dollar goes up and also the Colombian peso. Why? Um, are they pegged? I, I mean, I'm not familiar with the Colombian peso, but if they're pegged to the dollar, then they would go up because that's whatever monetary policy is going with the dollar, anything that's pegged to the dollar will transfer that monetary policy to them as well. My mom bought our house for 112 in 1999. It's worth 400K now. 10% wow. uh, 30 years soon. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to get that high. That would be incredible. Just got off a double shift at my hospital. Greetings from West Palm Beach, Florida. Glad to catch the live stream. Well, right on, Alexander. Glad you made it. Uh, uh, my house is my income. <laughs> my mortgage near doubled. I can afford it as using an investment dividends to pay it. But how many year, How many are in that situation without resources to pay? Yeah. Um. Your mortgage nearly doubled. What was it in a uh, variable rate or something? What do you think about gold and silver in a very long term? What do I think about holding it for a long term or what I think it's going to do for the long term? Um, in the, I mean, unless there's a complete failure of the system, I just really only see silver and gold as insurance policies to protect yourself from the third party claim. Um, having something outside of the system, like... I, that's, that's the reason why I like gold and silver is just because there's really nothing else that can, that can do that. Um, you know, you can buy property, you can buy other things, but there's nothing quite as liquid as silver is like 
you could take a piece of silver to just about anywhere in this country and find somebody who will give you some money for it, whether it's a jeweler or a coin dealer, a pawn shop, even just the bar. Just go down to the local bar and just say, hey, I got a piece of silver here. Spot price is 20 bucks. I'll sell it for 15. You will find somebody who will give it to you, right? Now, granted, that's not exactly a fair trade, you know, selling a $20 ounce for 15 bucks. But if you need cash right now, you can do it, right? And you can do it with the silver. And you might have to take a little loss to do it. If you want to work at it, you might be able to get your premium out of it. But I don't see, like, gold and silver, like, making me, like, some super wealthy person. Like, I don't, I don't see that at all. But I do see it as an insurance policy, and I think everybody should own it for that. Uh, uh, let's see here. Thoughts on the petrodollar? Um, you know... I mean, I don't know exactly what it is that needs to be said about it other than, you know, pretty much the dollar is backed by oil, right? If we had a system in which that nations around the world did not want to use the dollar to buy and sell oil with, then we would not have the way of life that we have. Um, things are changing. There are nations out there who are using their sovereign currencies to do deals in oil. Like, I get it. It's happening. But it's not going to happen on a scale that's so big that it's going to disrupt the dollar and knock it off from being the world reserve currency. There is, like I said, there's nations who are, who are doing it outside of the dollar. But for the most part, everybody around the world wants dollars. They really don't want anything else. And if you can imagine, like, you know, you're just some nation out there who really doesn't care which one you're using. You just want to use something. And somebody hands you a bunch of rubles what are you going to use with rubles? Like, what are you, where are you going to go and spend your rubles? Right. Other than Russia and maybe China, like nowhere. Right. But if you had dollars, everybody's going to accept it. So until there's like something else out there that can even remotely come close to replacing the dollar for what it does, it's just, there's nothing even close. There's like nothing. Even the second place is a distant second to the dollar. You know, it's the Euro and it does like, it doesn't even do nearly what the dollar does. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, at some point, you know, if people were to give up doing deals and doing oil deals in dollars, then yeah, then, then the whole dollar would fall from, from grace. But it's it's not happening. It's not going to happen either. Um, just simply because there's too much due in dollars. Too many nations out there want dollars. And that's just what it's going to come down to. Food is done in dollars, right? Oil is done in dollars. That's all there is to it. Um, you know, give it some time, you know, and eventually that will change. But it's just not happening yet. And it will be pretty obvious when it does. Like I said, when you see the dollar stronger than you could ever have possibly imagined and you have everybody like screaming about how awesome the dollar is and how everybody should be in the dollar, that's when you're going to want to get out. That's when everybody else is trying to get out and that's why it's getting stronger. I mean, it's hard to believe that, but that's really what the case is is that as people are trying to get out, they're causing the dollar to get stronger. It's And then eventually it'll fail, which, again, it's really difficult to wrap your head around it. But when you think about it from the dollar milkshake theory kind of thing, it's a lot easier to understand. All right. 5% should be enough for a wrecking ball. Yeah, I would think so too. Hey, Rain Rabbit, right on. Uh, how you been? 2019 fall, banks were getting cash repo. 
you were great on that topic. We were headed for a cliff. Yeah, um, yeah, that's so true, Rain Rabbit. You've been here for a while too. I met Rain Rabbit personally. We uh, we met over at the Fort George. Very nice lady. Um, unload your shacks now. I watched Powell speak at today's Fed conference. I learned two things. He is willing to keep interest rates high until it breaks, and he said he has the tools to fix the economy if it goes too far. Um, again, like, I think, I think, I really honestly feel that the Federal Reserve is right in line with where they want to be. Like, I don't feel that they are nervous. I don't think that they think that they have gone too far or anything like that. I think they are doing exactly what they had anticipated they were going to do. Smoke and Mirrors 101. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what will be the number one reason Powell will pivot public outpouring other Fed members? Economy too bad, something breaks, or CPI hits 2% times? Does he punk out? Yes or no? What will be the number one reason Powell pivots? The number one reason Powell will pivot is because they have achieved their 2% average target rate. That's... I believe. And I think that they are going to let unemployment rise significantly even though they are mandated to keep low and stable prices of around 2%, whatever the hell that means. They are also mandated to keep full employment. That is a very difficult thing to do, right? So here we have this incredibly hot jobs market, which is like ridiculous to think. Like how the hell is this even possible? But then you think, well, we do have a lot of zombie corporations in the mix right now that keep people employed. Right? So the Federal Reserve knew with those special purpose vehicles and the establishment of the corporate debt lending facility that they were going to be raising zombie corporations. Like they, they perpetrated that. They were like, hey, man, we need a bunch of zombie corporations to hire people because we need unemployment to be off, like low unemployment. We need, what is it? we need a hot jobs market. That's what I should be saying. So we need a bunch of zombie corporations that are in the mix of this. Hiring people like crazy so that we don't have a bunch of unemployed people when we go into the next recession. And they got it, right? I mean, I I hate to say that this is purpose, purposely done, but that was purposely done. Like, that was done on purpose to, to bring in funding for these corporations. They knew that the zombie corporations were going to be some of them. I mean, junk-yielding bonds were so popular. I mean, some of them even went negative, if you can imagine that. You, corporate bonds going negative. I, I mean, there was investors out there willing to buy a corporate bond knowing that if they held on to it to maturity, they were going to get back less than what they paid for it. That's insane. I mean, that stuff doesn't happen, like, unless there's some sort of manipulation taking place out there. So, that's the case. I mean, this is what we're going into right now. The Federal Reserve knew that. They knew that by setting up that special purpose vehicle... By putting out that narrative out there, by telling everybody that they were going to be picking the winners and losers, that the the investors were going to try and front run them. And I mean, it was so obvious. And then here it is. They have this record unemployment you know, or record low unemployment or whatever the hell it is, like, you know, super hot jobs market. Everybody's going, why? Why is it? Why? What, what happened? You know, are you kidding? I mean, during the pandemic, all these retired people quit. Schools shut down, so there's no new training people. And then they got a whole bunch of zombie corporations who just went on this spending spree. So, 
I mean, is it any surprise? I mean, it was set up. I mean, they needed super hot jobs market so they could go into the next recession without having unemployment go skyrocketing so they can get their 2% average inflation. I mean, how else were they going to be able to do that? You know, it's just, they weren't. How long have I been out here? Jeez, an hour and 15 already. Well, I'll give it a little bit more time. Liquid assets, silver. Um... I'm not sure what the question was on that. Charlatan? Uh, the savers, the conservatives will become rich. The spenders will suffer. Yeah, the Dow is not down that much at all in the overall picture. You can sell it for spot. A dealer will charge above spot. Yeah. Uh, you think one month will get higher than the 10-year? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at some point if the one month does go above the 10 year. I mean, isn't it pretty close to doing that now? Or didn't it already do it? <laughs> like, I don't check it every single day. So, I mean, gold and silver don't go up and down. The dollar goes up and down. Um, so what does that say about 2011 when silver was at $50 an ounce? And now it's at 19. The the dollar gained value from 2011 till now? I mean, that's kind of what that says. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's the case. I regret buying silver. Don't regret that, man. Who is that? Tabby Kathy? Okay. Um if you if you dumped a lot of money into silver, I can see where you would regret that. Like if you went and took ten thousand dollars and dumped it into silver or something like that, that would be heartbreaking. Like that would that would be tough. But that's not the way you buy silver. Like if you are buying silver in that way, then you better really know what the hell you're doing. Um, I mean, that's like that's tough right there. Or you just have a shitload of money and you don't care. I dollar cost average, like I rarely spend more than say 50 bucks or a hundred bucks at any given time on silver because anything more than that. And you know, it's kind of a lot of money, you know, it's just like, Jesus, what am I doing here? So when you buy $20, $50, even a hundred dollars, you don't notice it nearly as much as when you go and spend a thousand dollars or something like that. So it's all about dollar cost average. If you dollar cost average into silver, just buy a little bit every month, right? You don't even notice it. And then one day you're looking at your stack, you got a whole bunch of silver and you don't even really know how much you have spent on it. Like you don't, you don't worry about it. But if you go and you drop like, you know, $1,500 on silver, you know exactly how much you spent on it and you know how much it's worth today. And so that can be very like disheartening, you know, as far as like, I don't like doing this, but dollar cost average definitely the way to go you don't even notice it feels great you know and you end up with a bunch of silver in the end or at least some silver in the end you know? hey simon hope all is well how do you see the economic impact of the russian ukraine war this winter cheers from tusk was it tux tucson tucson whatever from arizona um what do i see from the ukraine war going into um So uncertainty is my favorite word right now. Everybody loves uncertainty. So when you have like this craziness going on as far as like, you know, the things going on in the economy and then you have like a war thing going on with like what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, 
that puts people into a very nervous, like, I don't feel good position, right? But then one day that ends, right? And then everybody starts feeling good. You feel euphoric. Like, things really haven't changed that much. It's just that we know this is over and that's a good thing. Then all of a sudden everybody starts feeling better about stuff, right? You feel bad right now. Tomorrow, if the war ended, you'd feel good and things would change, right? So that's really like the actual impact, the economic impact of like not being able to ship out, you know, maybe the commodity changes and stuff like that that are not, hap- you know, like shipping that doesn't happen and stuff. That's going to be pretty impactful as far as the economy goes. But I think the overall like, like feeling that people get once that is over, like regardless of any kind of economic change, like, you know, it takes months for, you know, banking policies to to actually impact the economy but people's perception acts instantaneously so if the ukraine war was to continue we'll have you know pressure like we do now where everybody feels like you know feels discouraged by it and feeling like there's probably going to be recession and nothing good happening but then if the war ends right all of a sudden everybody's going to feel good and positive and there's going to be ideas of growth and stuff like that so that's really what I feel like. I don't think like the actual war is going to have an impact on the economy itself. I think the war is a result of the economy right? and the economy will continue on just as if it would anyway. Um, you know, we probably would see more escalation if they didn't have a plan to swap everything into a digital currency. That's the whole point of the Great Reset. It's part of the, one of the reasons why I think they're even doing this whole battle and fighting and slowing down of the economy I mean whether you think that it was accidental from the pandemic or you think it was on purpose it doesn't really matter the end result is still the same right there's a slowdown taking place there's less manufacturing happening there's going to be an obvious tokenization happening here in you know the next couple of years that happens within the monetary system the banking system the commodities you know everything out there that great reset is occurring. Now, again, whether it was done on purpose or accident, it doesn't really matter if the end result is the same, right? And that's what we're headed to. All right, feds designed this. Lots of laughs. Laugh out loud. What am I trying to say here? Um, This is their plan. Let's see, because all the grifters drifter grifters and push gold and silver they get kickbacks uh, yeah you know um i was offered up like i went and did an interview with the group and they were like oh man this is so cool hey if you push our program or whatever we'll give you 10 10 ounce bars of silver right and i'm like oh yeah you know like i'd love to have 10 10 ounce bars but then i saw what they were doing i'm like i am not I am not pushing silver in this fashion. Like I am not going to be a silver pusher like that, telling people that they, you know, they need to protect their wealth or they're going to lose everything that they ever had if they don't dump every dime they have into silver. I was just like, I'm sorry, keep your money, keep your, keep your, keep your metal. I don't want it. They were blown away. They were like, dude, you only have to do like three videos. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. You know? And, uh, you know, it was, it wasn't so much like the idea of pushing the silver. It was the way they wanted me to do it. You know, and I was just like, I'm not like, it's one thing to say, hey, here's a suggestion, right? Here's an idea that that's out there. 
But it's another thing to purposely scare people into buying something because because of a fear factor kind of thing. So I wasn't going to do it. Like, you know, I'm not doing it for that reason. And I told them, I said, I'll promote your stuff, but I'm going to do it in a different way. And they were, you know, they were like, well, we really want to kind of follow this kind of thing. Never mind. Uh, can you still eat an entire apple in two bites? Yes, I can. If you got the right size apple, I almost did it for you guys the other day. I found this, uh, it was about that big or so. And I was like, man, I could do that. I could get that one down in two bites. Um, and then the, uh, my boy went over to the neighbors and picked an apple off the tree. That was a little tiny thing. It was like this big. And I did get that one down in one bite. All right, who picked up I-Bonds at 9.62? I did. Tabby Kathy, I'll buy your silver. <laughs> Memory dealer, okay, $10. Thank you so much for the super chat. Let's see what you have to say. Have you ever watched the documentary Princes of the Yen here on YouTube? It's very good, and it's about central bank manipulation of economics. You would probably like it a lot. Um, you know, somebody else had recommended that one as well. So maybe I'll try and take some time to watch that one. Princes of Yin. What will happen to housing now? I, I don't think we're going to have much change in the housing. You know, one of the other things I was kind of thinking about, because of the inventory being as low as it is, that's going to be like the major reason why we don't see a housing market crash, right? Or would be one of the reasons why we don't see it is because we don't have this huge increase in the amount of inventory to homes. Now, you think about it, like what would bring on a lot of inventory? Foreclosures and new home builds. Like this is this is what would bring inventory up. And right now inventory levels are still really pretty low considering, you know, what they've been over the past. Builders aren't excited and foreclosures haven't kicked in. So where's the housing inventory going to come from? Where's that crash in prices from the rise of inventory going to come from? That's what I question. So when you have people who are sitting at less than 3% or 4% on their mortgages, those people are not going to be very eager of leaving that loan, right? That's like, because you would have to swap it out for another loan or something, right? You know, you sell your house, you go buy another house. So unless you have the cash for it, most likely you're going to be interested in buying another house with a loan. And if it's at 7 or 8% and right now you're paying 3%, that, that doesn't really excite you about putting your house on the market so you can go get a different one, right? So those people are pretty much locked in and probably sitting tight and going to stay there for a while. Um, that leaves like, where does the inventory come from? Right? So... It's going to have to come from foreclosures. That's, I mean, there is one other part, I guess, if you're looking at the builders, is that there was a delay. There has been a delay in completions of homes, but that doesn't really matter a whole lot when you have a slowdown or a big gap in permit issuance and new housing starts. So even though we have homes completing, like we have, I wouldn't say like a flood of them, but we have a bunch of them that are coming into completion right now. They're just really just going to fill in what is not being built now, right? And then once those are done, where does the new where does the new inventory come from? It, it's just not going to be there. I mean, if home builders aren't starting now, then they're not going to be there in the future. I mean, it's just simply not going to happen. 
So as far as I can see it, unless there is a huge rise in foreclosures, we're not going to see the rise in inventory. Even if we have the rising of interest rates, it may not slow or bring down the home prices as much as people would anticipate it would, just simply because there's just not enough homes out there to meet the demand because everybody is going to be buying. And I don't care if you had interest rates at 20%, there's somebody out there who will put their name on the bottom line. They will do it. And if you can find a banker to loan it to them, then that house will sell. I mean, so that's really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a rise in inventory level for homes in order to see a crash. And in order to see that, I've got to see foreclosures. In order to see foreclosures, I'm most likely going to have to see unemployment rise. Once people lose their jobs, they can't make their payments, then they go into foreclosures, and those foreclosed homes go on to inventory. It's going to be a while. Can we actually get there by then? How long does that take? There's a lot of questions involved in that. All right. Silver is pretty undervalued. Yeah, and now that's another thing to consider, right? How much stuff out there is overvalued? Like, we have just saw everything go up in price, right? I mean, super hyperinflation scenario, except for in gold and silver. How much downside risk is there to real estate, right? We just talked about it. There's a huge downside risk to it. Is it going to happen? We don't know. we got to see all these factors to it that would have to play out before we see a downturn in the real estate market. Well, but what about silver? Like, how far down can that go? I mean, it's at $19 an ounce. It could go, you know, 15 I mean, I guess it's gone down there before. Probably wouldn't stay there very long. I know a bunch of people who would be loading up on silver at $15 an ounce. So if there is any kind of, like, downward move, it is pretty small when it comes to silver. Like, the downside risk is low, really low. Again, makes it a great insurance policy. Um you know, that's that's where I kind of look at stuff. Everything else out there has huge downside risk. Silver doesn't. It's 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 just one of the few things out there right now that does not have a lot of downside risk. Hey, right on, Lumberjack Landlord up in the house. Hey, how you doing, Matthew? Uh, Simon has it right. Dollar cost average, perfect strategy. Yeah, thank you, sir. Hey, it's good to see you here, too, man. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Matthew, mom was watching your live stream the other day and she comes running out of the room. She was like, she goes, Simon, Simon, Matthew's talking about you. You got to go on. And I was just like, oh, mom, I got to go check it out. But yeah. So thank you for giving me the shout out. I really appreciate it. Mom was real excited to hear it. Uh, impressed by your efforts. I wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Eschaton, 28. Thank you very much for the five bucks. Very nice of you. Powerball, 1.2 billion. Yeah, you know, I don't play the lottery. I don't I don't gamble. When silver hit five dollars in April of two thousand eleven, the dollar index was seventy-three. Yeah. Right? And now the dollar index is uh hundred and eleven and silver's at nineteen dollars. So I mean Again, like I was buying silver thinking that I was protecting myself from a hyperinflation scenario. When it hit $50 an ounce, I thought I was the smartest person in the world. I was like, everybody should have been listening to me. I totally understand this. Nobody nobody gets it. And I didn't sell a single ounce. And it trickled all the way back down into the teens. And I was completely under what I had paid. And I thought to myself, man, that was dumb. I should have sold out. But then... One day, I was completely broke, broken down car, couldn't get to work, 
had no way of getting to work. I call up my buddy. I said, hey, man, you still got that Tahoe for sale? He says, I sure do. I said, will you take silver? And he said, oh, you know it. I said, will you bring it up here? And he says, yep, I'll be up in just a few minutes. Drove that Tahoe up with the title. I gave him 165 ounces. He signed that title over to me, and I thought, damn, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So ever since then, I've always looked at silver as my insurance policy because that's what it's been, that's what it's done for me. It's never protected me from inflation. Sorry, like I know a lot of people want to believe in it for that. That's fine. If that's your choice, you go for it. It's never done that for me, but it has protected me from some pretty bad times when I could pull that box of silver out and buy a car with it. That's pretty cool stuff, you know. All right, and the unbombs, the UN bombs Japan. Oh, and then UN bombs. Okay, uh, uneducated economists, Phillies or Astros? Um, geez, that's a tough one. I'm thinking about like who I would probably be a bigger fan. I guess I'm going to go with Phillies. Yeah, but ultimately. I'm not really a baseball fan anymore. I'm just, you know, because I used to watch a lot of ball games with my dad. And, um, you know, I, I got into to sports. I mean, I played in high school and stuff like that. But, like, following sports teams and being, like, really into the into the team and following all the players, I never really was that. And so, if anything, I wasn't really so much, like, like a baseball fan or even so much, like, because my dad was from Boston, you know. I was just more of like New York Yankees losing fan. So as long as the Yankees lost, I was pretty happy about that, you know? All right. Um, Prince of Yin is a Richard Warner documentary, I think. Okay. Let's see. What time is it? One thirty-two. It's getting kind of dark here. I'll give it about another 10 minutes or so. I think over half of all the Airbnb rentals properties were purchased within the last two years. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that was kind of like what's crazy to think about. I mean, I was reading about some towns that had it so bad that like, you know, they actually made laws and rules. I mean, a lot of towns have done this to saying, okay, that's, you know, you got to limit the amount of Airbnbs in here and make them illegal or whatever, or tax the hell out of them because there was no place for anybody to live. All the working class had to leave because there was no place to live. How are credit unions running out of cash? I don't know. I mean, I, I keep hearing about these banks running out of cash. I haven't had that issue yet. So maybe I need to go to a bank that's running out of cash and go bank with them and figure that out. Because everybody, I, everybody, like I haven't, I've talked to a lot of people. I said, have you had any problems with cash at the bank? I've heard people saying they couldn't get coins. Like there was coin issue, but not, not bills. And I don't know, like, there's a lot of people who talk about it. I just ain't seen it yet. And I have not one experience with anybody who has told me any experience of that. You know? uh, people aren't paying their car loans, credit unions. Oh, well, that might be one of the reasons why I don't have any. I hear about that. That's one thing that I hear is definitely on the rise is the amount of uh, delinquency on car loans. And then the default rate is really starting to kick in. So I would imagine the used car market is probably going to get really cheap here going into the recession like next year um, as people really start struggling with their payments I might be able to pick up that Camaro cheaper right 
you can do a contract or contract direct with seller of a home for lower interest rates as long as both parties agree, like rent to own. Yeah. Never do a land contract on a house. Very undervalued. Nope. Uh, keep asking me about the Phillies and Astros. All right. Let's get down to the bottom. Where are we at here? Okay. New subscriber here. Great channel and community. Well, thank you very much, Tabby. I really appreciate the subscription. Very nice of you. Um, that's funny you bring that up. My credit union has been running a ton of ads. I've noticed it. I put off by it being leasehold. Okay, let's see. Would you invest in leasehold property if you could? My family wants me to leave a share of an inherited flat in the flat so my sister can live in it. My family relationships are very bad, though. Wow, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think will happen to spot price of silver once the COMEX gets even more critically low? I don't know. Um, I try not to pretend that I can that I am a, that I can suspect what's going to happen. Like I thought I knew what was going to happen when we were going to crash J.P. Morgan buy silver, that they were not going to be able to cover their short position and they were going to go bankrupt. After that, like that was Max Kaiser's push. The you know what the hell I thought, can't turn my light on. That was uh, Max Kaiser's push to. Uh, to run silver up to $500 an ounce and crash JP Morgan. Um, you know, when I saw that happening, I was just like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I understand what the silver levels are going to be or what the banking system is going to do. Once this happens, I just look at silver as the insurance policy for myself. I don't look at like silver as like, oh man, this is going to happen. And then now I'm going to be, you know, super wealthy from it. Um, I mean, it could happen. I don't know. I just, like I said, after I, you know, fell for the whole crash JP Morgan buy silver thing, I, I quit following silver as an investment or a money making opportunity. I just don't see it that way anymore. Um, I just look at it as the insurance policy. Uh, I get five rolls of nickels every week from the bank stacking nickels. Yeah. You know, actually I stack nickels too, because nickels are what they say they are. Um, all our change, all our coins, nothing is what it says it is except for the nickel. There's actually five cents worth of metal in every nickel. And the pre-80 pennies, pre-81 pennies, those have like two and a half cents worth of copper in each penny. So they're worth twice the face value. So I save all my copper pennies and I save all my nickels. All right. Lumberjack gets it. Yes, he does. Lumberjack really, I mean, if you haven't been over to Lumberjack Landlord's YouTube channel to check out his information, I mean, if you're into real estate or wanting to know more about the real estate market, he's got the channel that you need. Um, I mean, we did an interview the other day and I was like, I, I was just super intrigued with all the information that uh, Matthew was dumping on me. I mean, I had my mind just spinning on some of the things that are going on. I was just like, holy moly, man, I didn't even know it was getting this bad. Um but it was good stuff. And that was a great interview. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Um, we did it about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Uh, I would rather invest in tools and usable items than gold. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, gold doesn't do anything. It just sits there. So if you got tools, I mean, hell, man, I would rather invest in tools too because then you got something you can actually use. But if you already have tools, what are you going to buy? You know? 
All righty, guys. It's getting dark, and I don't have any light. And I can't really see myself anymore. So not that I really need to see us. See me. Not that you guys need to see me. All right. Nickels in demand. All right. Got a shot in the dark guess at Fed terminal rate and when that might be. Like where they're going to cap out at. I think really, honestly, they're pushing that 5%. Like I think they want to get it at the 5% to have that 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 ability to drop that 5% to like kind of stimulate the economy, get everybody out there borrowing money to buy houses and cars and stuff like that. So I think they're honestly, I think they're pushing for the 5%. That'll give them their ammo. That'll give them their time. And then that way they can set up, make sure that they have the central bank digital currencies, get all that things ready. And then the next financial crisis that we run into, they will push out the central bank digital currencies. But I just don't think it's quite ready for them yet. That's why that major push to get to the 5% so that they would have the ammo in order to stimulate the economy next, next recession. Yeah. All right. Pickle bear, man. Thank you so much for the 1999. Should I sell my gold and silver paper stock? My father passed and uh, I inherited and now I am able to switch into cash painful because it was trading at two K eight months ago, but you say cash is king. Well, I'm going to tell you now that I do not give financial advice. And I mean, what it is that you decide to do with your money, I think is probably going to be the best decision that you can make. But you really have to make that decision for yourself. If if you have paper silver, that's an investment, right? I mean, it's not, it's a speculation. I mean, ultimately, but it's an investment because what you are doing is you are anticipating that there is going to be a price increase on that paper silver. Now, if it happens to be with a silver mine or something like that, that would be a little different. I would say, hold on to it, but you are speculating with the paper silver. That's, that's like, you know, you're trying to earn money from that. If that's the case, then be very wary of what you're doing. Like be timing it perfectly. Um, I'm not one to tell you that getting into cash is going to be the smartest position because I mean, I'm just doing that for myself because I think there's going to be buying opportunities coming into the future. But if you're not prepared for that, like if you're not ready to be vigilant on switching your cash over into another item, when you see that appropriate thing happening, that appropriate item, then you're going to be looking for somebody else to tell you to take your cash and put it into that item. So you're not making decisions for yourself. You really have to do that for yourself. Now, think about it. Do you want to hold paper silver? If your answer is yes, then you don't. your question is answered. But if you're like, I don't know, I don't trust this, this is kind of good, then you might want to consider getting out of that paper silver and moving into something that is going to be something that you do feel comfortable with. But be sure you're feeling comfortable with it, right? It's all about you and the decisions that you are going to make for yourself. All right. Uh, I'm going to go guys. I, it's too dark to be out here anymore. Right. <laughs> um, I used to dump two tons of nickel briquettes into a ladle of steel several times a day, made steel for 20 years, working at a refinery or steel mill or something, huh? Silver and gold in a supply shortage environment, contrarian play million contracts for every gram of silver Take a large event to move a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> aliens can see you. Yeah, I could uh, I could see where there could be something like that happening. Like, there's obviously, like, 
a hell of a lot more paper silver out there than there is physical silver. If all the investors who are invested into silver, especially the paper silver, was to move out of the paper in, into physical, there wouldn't be enough physical to supply all those people. You would see the price of it shoot through the moon. But those, those are all like what ifs kind of thing, you know? And I don't necessarily feel like there's, you know, like a definite happening inside of that. I mean, if you want to hold silver for like the lottery ticket possibility, then that's one thing. But I don't know, like these, I was, I was already fooled on that thing with the crash JP Morgan buy silver. So I, I just don't like, you know, this many contracts compared to that, whatever. It's just a bunch of numbers to me. I'm looking for the day that somebody goes to build their cell phone, some factory, some manufacturer out there, they go to buy silver and they can't find it. They can't find physical silver to buy from anybody. Those guys, they can care less what the spot price is. They will start buying silver at any price in order to build their product. I mean, that's almost a guarantee. So if that situation was to come up, I would be very excited about having physical silver in your possession. But I haven't heard of that yet, right? I mean, we talk about shortages, but has any manufacturer who is using it to build their product come up in a silver shortage yet? Or have they been able to acquire it? The day they are no longer able to acquire it, you will see the prices skyrocket. All right, guys, I'm going to jet. Uneducated economist, you guys let me know. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. We got 316 of you hanging out in the dark with me. $130 in super chats. You guys are always so supportive of this channel. I cannot believe how awesome you guys have been for me. 290 thumbs up. Great evening. Love you guys very much. Uneducated economist, you let me know.